You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. All right, I'm going to read us our scripture um, this evening. And it's coming from 3 John 1, 1 through 14. The Elder to my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling you how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, You are faithful in what you are doing with your brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that they may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephanes, Uh, hmm? Trephus, great. Who loves to be first will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sarah Claire, for reading that. You know we're in trouble when Sarah Claire is having to look to me to pronounce a difficult name. Um, I notoriously mispronounce names of places and people. Um, But yeah, there was uh, just one little tag there on the end from uh, verse 14. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name, um, to finish out that last little section. Uh, my name is Keith Case, and so glad to have you all here tonight. I am one of the pastors here at Providencia, and I'm not sure that we have ever really done this as of late, but we used to do it way, way back in the day, um, and that is that we stand up and we greet one another. Now, if you're an introvert, hold on a second, hold on a second. Some of you are on the verge of running out the door. 
Um, you only have to say hi to one person, okay? Um, but if you could, try to rise up right now and just say hi to people and welcome them here tonight. Have you guys never met before? Hot mic. Amazing. Thank you for doing that. Um, again, my, my name is Keith Case, and I and I'm one of the pastors here at Providencia. Um, and on the website, I think it says for Providencia that I'm the lead pastor. But I usually don't use that title. I don't really say that that often uh, because there are other pastors on staff. And we all have different roles. Um, Drew, for example, he is ordained in the denomination that he was with. Um, and we have other people on staff that uh, are possibly seeking ordination and things like that. But one of the reasons that I say that as well is because when I look out at each of you, that I actually see you all as pastors. Uh, and I see you all as uh, priests. There, there's this text in First Peter where um, Peter says that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That we, as a people, are a priesthood. So I don't know if you own that uh, title or that identity for yourself. I, I will confess that when I bought the Melton's uh, Jeep, that it had an ichthus on the back of it, which I removed immediately. Um, the reason I removed it immediately is not because I don't like ichthuses, but it's because um, I was scared of how people would uh, see me driving. So um, that's why I took it off. But, you know, part of it is identifying and own, taking ownership of this identity we have as priests, as pastors, is that it's not just in certain areas of our life, but it's in all of our life. Um, I won't be putting this back on my car, but living it out, this, this reality of what does it mean uh, to be a priesthood of all believers, we're actually going to be going more into that text uh, here in, in the next weeks. Um, but this whole idea of this priesthood, if you follow it out in kind of the story of Scripture, um, God uh, comes and he dwells with his people in an ark. And then God comes and he dwells with his people in a temple. And then Jesus comes and, and as he's here, he actually says to the people that, that are following him, he says to them, your bodies are the temple. And that if you follow me, that the spirit of God, that I will dwell with you. That you will be my temples to the world, uh, to the people. So I don't know if you own that identity. But that's what Peter says about you. That's what Jesus uh, says about you. That wherever you go, you are this temple. You know, we started the summer with the summer of rest. I don't know if you remember that theme back at the beginning of the summer, but, but priests not only offer this to others, but they live in it. 
Why? Because God is with them. This is something they're saturating their bodies in. It's the song that we have been singing tonight about learning to rest in the presence of God. You know, that, that last song, I don't know if we could bring up the lyrics to it, but um, this whole idea of God uh, making his, his home in us and that he says he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that he will never abandon us, um, that he welcomes us in, not only uh, to his kingdom, but into his heart. And we're going to be unpacking that a little bit more as we go into the scripture tonight. Um, Drew, Drew read to kick off this summer, the series on the summer of rest, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's from Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30. When I hear that scripture, every time, I just feel like I can breathe a little bit more. Like, is that the God of Christianity? Is that really the reality of what I'm invited into? Not just once, but daily, to just rest, to like put down my burdens, that I'm invited to come uh, to this king, the savior with my weariness and my burdens. I just feel better every time I hear that. And then we spent these last several weeks in the second half of the summer under the theme of summer of love. And we read in 1 John 4, God is love. And today is our last sermon um, on that series and next Sunday we begin our new series as we kick off our birthday and all these awesome fun exciting things and um, as we've been in this series on the summer of love we've been reading through the testaments of John 1st John 2nd John and tonight 3rd John and tonight I just want to commend you because we actually just read an entire book of the Bible so just give yourself an applause right now that's, a, that's an accomplishment. Um, if you ever want to feel good about yourself, you know, just go read First John, Second John, Third John. You can, you know, really knock something out right there. Um, and so as we look at this text tonight, um, and as we look at all of John's theme, we, we see that love was this massive theme for John throughout his Gospels and his Testament. And tonight, the title for this sermon is Second Place Love. Uh, second place love. Uh, and here, here's your three points, right? God became second. Uh, hospitality is embracing second place. And when you love second place, you will remember people's names. God became second. Hospitality is embracing second place. When you love second place, you'll remember people's names. Um, who here loves being in second place? There is a, a quote by a famous NASCAR driver named Dale Earnhardt Jr. And this is his quote. Second place is the first loser. Anybody ever heard that before? It's pretty famous, right? Um, that's the culture I was brought up in in my house and my school. Uh, we wanted to be first. There was some SEC football going on uh, this weekend. There's NFL starting today. I, I don't know if that was part of your culture or part of your household, but it was all about chasing the national champion, about being in first place. 
And maybe that gets worked out for you in different ways about being in first. But that was front and center for me growing up. And one of the things as we come back uh, to Christianity is that we are actually called to embrace second place. To love it. Um, to have second place love. It, it is basic to our faith and it, and it looks like this. Uh, this is a basic understanding of our faith. That God is number one and we are number two. God is number one and we are number two. If you ever get those mixed up, that's where we get into trouble. That was like theology 101 when I was in like undergrad. And I remember this part of me inside going, eh. I started like contorting a little bit, just like a little part of me um, that was kind of resisting that. Like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know if I like that setup there, dude. You know, there was a part of me that was reactive to that idea. And, and I'll, I will say uh, two things about that is, is one is it's part of that lie that we have heard in the garden that we talk about a lot here where essentially evil says it's not enough to be second. It's not enough to be human. You have to become number one in life. And, and secondly is my relationships throughout my life with authority figures, um, with people in charge, that maybe I had some pain from those people. And I will project that on to uh, this one who's called God, this, this number one figure, right? Right? So those are two things that become challenging sometimes for me when I think about that basic. But nonetheless, it is a basic to our faith. And I want to unpack that in just the beginning here of verses 1 through 4 because John talks about truth and it's a theme for him uh, through these first four verses. And what is this major truth, this, this major reality that John wants us to understand? about Jesus, the, the, the truth and the life. What is it? This is key in 1 John when we go back to that testament that Jesus came in the flesh, that God became a man, that he was, Jesus, 100% God and 100% man. This is a great mystery in the Christian faith. And this is what John was driving home. And not just in 1 John, but in his gospels as well. Check this out. This is from uh, John 1, the gospel, in uh, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And then we go to John 1, verses 14, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God became second. God became second place. Uh, this is something that John really wants us to understand. That, that Jesus comes down, he takes on flesh, he comes into a second place. And now all the followers of Jesus, they had a hard time when it came to places, right? And it wasn't just in John's gospel that this becomes a theme, but also in Matthew. In Matthew 18, and we get a glimpse into the hearts of the disciple, and they ask Jesus this question. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest? Who's going to be number one in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. See, this God that we say is number one and we're number two, actually, when you begin to peel back the layers and you get close to this God and you see who this God is, that this God identifies himself with who? He, he talks about this child being lowly. He identifies himself with the child. He says, if you welcome the lowly child, you welcome who? You welcome me. Because now you know me. You know what I'm about. You know what my heart is about. And this is the truth that John is saying we must see. That the God we follow gives up his place at the table to get down on his knees and wash our feet. The God that we follow gets down from the table and gets on his knees to wash our feet. This is the truth. This is John flipping the world upside down for us, if you will. You know, when I uh, first visit your houses, and I've been to some of your houses, and thank you for inviting me, uh, this is typically what happens. When I walk in the door, you ask me a series of questions, and probably you already know what they are, right? I come in the door, and you say, hey, can I get you something to drink? And I'm like, sure. Do you have a bubbly? Do you have an aha? Do you have a LaCroix? Because pretty much that's all I drink is carbonated water that has no taste to it. But that's what you offer me and I take it. And then you say, what about something to eat? Would you like something to eat? And I'm like, oh, amazing. Sure, I would like something to eat. I mean, I was at Blake's house the other day. He offered me curry like three times. He's like, do you want some curry, Keith? And I was like, no, Blake. No, please, Keith, take some curry. He kept offering to me, right? And, and here's the amazing thing. Then people go on to say things like, hey, make yourself at home. Uh, relax, you know, sit down, find somewhere comfortable. Like, this is uh, my house is your house kind of thing. You treat me like a king in a way. You honor me. And you take on the role of Who? you actually take on the role of a servant. I don't know if you realize it that way. I mean, it's your house. You own it or you rent it. It's your groceries. You paid for them or they're on your credit card bill, right? Somehow, right, they're in your house and you're wanting to give them away to me. I mean, in some ways, you might treat me better than you treat the other people that live in your house, right? You treat me great. It's amazing. And Jesus is saying, yes, this is the way. This is the way of Jesus. John is highlighting that. He's saying, please understand that this is 
the way. And we, we had um, Shadi here last Sunday sharing, and she was talking about her, um, her family afterwards. We, some of the staff, we took her to dinner, and just to welcome her. You know, they, they said she wanted to go out to a meal, so we just took her out to eat. And, and after we all ordered, and we were sitting there, and we said, you know, Shadi, we really care about people's stories here at our church. Would you share some of your story? And she began to share with us about her family, her grandfather, that her, her mother uh, came from a Jewish background, her, her father came from a Muslim background, and that in the time that her grandfather uh, heard the gospel, there was, uh, according to missiologists, like 200 Christians in all of Iran. And, and today, there's like 1.5 million or something. And you see this expansion of like the gospel just growing underground. And at the center of that, at the core of that, is this reality of a God who became human that is highly controversial and to other religions that God would become human, even more so that God would wash our feet. But this is the message that is spreading through Iran, and it's the fastest growing church in the world right now. And so we got to sit with her and hear the stories and she was so grateful for the hospitality. She was so grateful for how you all welcomed her. She was so grateful for that we take, took her to dinner. And really, when, when you boil this text down, uh, John is writing to a church, and he's saying, hey, guys, when the missionaries come, welcome them. Like, be nice to them. Show them hospitality. Come on. But it's, it's a lot bigger than that, you know, this principle of welcoming strangers. If we go back in John uh, chapter 1, they're right in the beginning. It, it says this about Jesus, that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That Jesus came to his own people. He, he came into their land. He came into their cities. He came into their temples, their places of worship, but they did not receive him. They did not embrace him. They did not show him hospitality. And one of the things that I hope for our church is that we actually can be a legitimate space, place, people on Sunday night, that we are a worshiping, welcoming body. That when people come into this place that they taste the hospitality of Jesus, that they taste the hospitality and the heart of the God who is the God of the lowly, that when they come into this place, they feel almost like disarmed. Like nobody here is trying to fight me. People are here trying to welcome and embrace me. I want to ask you to help me with something. In the earlier, as I said to each of you, that you are the priests and the pastors, right? And if you would help me when you come here to embrace and say hello to other people that are coming here. Uh, some of you may uh, find yourself sitting on the bride side sometimes. And some of you may find yourself sitting on the groom side sometimes. And maybe you don't make the transition all the way over to the other side to say hi to the people over there. And maybe you don't make the transition all the way over here. Because we, we fall into our routines, right? We say hi to the same people. 
But if you would help me to embrace the people in this room, the people that come into this space, so that when people come into this space that they no longer feel like strangers. I think it's a reflection of who God is. And it's a reflection of who we are called to be. It's that idea that when you embrace this love, when you embrace the idea of second place, hospitality flows out of us. And lastly, when you embrace second place, you remember people's names. Now, many of you who've been here before, you know that I uh, love the musical Les Mis. And there's an incredible scene there called, you know, the, uh, not the conflict, what am I saying? My brain is, the confrontation, my brain is fried. Too many sound, or too many uh, sun rays today. Um, the confrontation. And you guys know how the confrontation goes, right? Valjean, at last we see each other plain. Le me, le mer, you wear a different. So like it keeps going, right? And the thing about, the thing about Valjean, check it out is that he even calls Javert by his name. But Javert calls him what? He calls him by a number, 24601. It's, it's remarkable to me that the thing that John ends this whole letter, his whole series, his whole testament, if you will, is he says to greet them by name. To greet them by name. That John is saying, embrace this reality that to love is to put others up, to lift others up. Know their name if you're going to do that. Know their name. Remember their name. In the idea of, um, well, in this idea of remembering the name, we also remember the scene when uh, the candlestick scene, right? That uh, Valjean finds himself asleep outside of the priest's home and the priest finds him and takes him into the house and he feeds him. And he brings him to the table and he calls him a guest of honor. He, he gives him that dignity of honor, like you are the guest of honor. And then that night, we know the story, right? That Valjean takes all the silver and runs off and the next morning, the other people who live in the house, they're upset about the silver. The silver is gone. And the priest is just there going, well, the silver didn't belong to us anyway. It belonged to God. And then right about that time, the doors swing open. The police are there. And they've got Valjean. And they've brought him in. And they're ready to bring the law down upon him. And the priest says to him there, oh, well, you forgot the candlestick. See, this, this text is about uh, welcoming a missionary. But when you expand it out and you look to John's other writings, like when you look into the book of Revelation, the next book he wrote right after this, in that book we see in the middle of this city the kingdom of God coming down and right there on Main Street there's this river. And on the river there is this tree. And in the tree there are these leaves. And it says, John says, these leaves are for healing for the nations. 
It's not just for missionaries visiting the church. No, John is taking us back to this Old Testament idea that when you thought of the, the, the nation of Israel, when you thought of the city of Jerusalem, you were to get excited. You were like, oh man, Jerusalem, that's the place. Jerusalem is amazing, the food there. Oh my God, it's so good. And they just give it away. It's the most flavorful food ever. And the music, oh my God, the music there is so amazing. The creativity, the innovation, oh my gosh. If you're having financial problems, get on a plane, go to Jerusalem. If you're sick, get on a plane, go to Jerusalem. That's how Jerusalem was supposed to be. Jerusalem was supposed to be the place that it was so beautiful, it was so remarkable that people were drawn to it. And John is reminding us that we as a church are the new Jerusalem and that we are living that reality out into our community, into our city. And it can be challenging today, right? It can be challenging when you have some of the conversations maybe you have uh, with your friends or your parents or colleagues uh, around things like politics or around uh, ideologies or around um, all different things, opinions, Right? But there's this thing within in Christianity, this thing, that, you know, this idea of taxonomy, right? This hierarchy. This hierarchy of like, what is the most important thing in our faith as Christians? And right there at the top in first place is the idea of embracing second place. Right at the top of the list. Right there, we have this. Allegiance to Jesus Christ, the embodied love of God, made flesh. This is at the top of the list. And that if we follow him, if we are about his way, second, right next to that, connected to it, you cannot even separate them actually, is love thy neighbor. If Jesus says crazy things like, if you love your neighbor, you're loving me. That this is at the top of the list. And I love what John says about people who do evil. He says about them that they have not seen God. It's kind of a compassionate statement. I don't know if you, if you read it that way, but it, it's a compassionate statement. They, they haven't yet seen they haven't yet uh, tasted. They haven't yet touched. They haven't yet experienced the presence, the love of God. They haven't seen the God who washes the feet of his people. And this is what he calls us to. He calls us into this Love, this embracing of the same thing. Leaving the table and taking the position on our knees to wash and care for each other's feet. Let us pray. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. 
If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit ProvidenciaWPB.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.